We all have crosses to bear, and some people's crosses are heavier than yours. And it's powerful when you come and enlighten somebody's cross. And I, I think I love what Jenny and Andy do, and the, the power of that gift is more than the gift. It's something good, something unexpected in a world that often disappoints. It is... It, it's, it tenderizes hearts. And so I, I hope you'll be part of that. I love the shoe boxes that does the whole world, the third world. Those boxes go all over the world. And I love this because this is right here, right home, close to us. All right. I want to tell you just a little more about tonight before we, we go on. I have a very deep conviction that as the river rises, God wants to move more in healing. We are going to be looking at five healing ministries starting in about the 1900 that were used mightily and powerfully in, in physical healing. I believe God wants to increase not just the amount of healings, and I thank God for everything he's done, but I think he wants to do more and for greater miracles. And, and by greater, for God, they're all the same. But for us, it's bigger if somebody comes out of a wheelchair than if their headache gets healed. Um, God wants to demonstrate through physical healing the confirmation that he has the authority to forgive sins and that the gospel is true. This is what signs and wonders do. They confirm the gospel, and as you say, well, how could Madison ever be one? Well, I'll tell you what, when God comes in power, it, everything changes. And, and, and so God wants to raise the level. When you honor somebody in the past, you, you, you draw, you get for free anointing just by honoring it, just by humbling yourself and saying, God, we want more of what was on that person. And so if you want to be used in healing, you have a burden to be used in healing, I want to encourage you to come tonight. And then, of course, if you need a healing, I want to really encourage you to come tonight at 6 to 7.30. Um, just so you know, you'll have a chance to leave at 7.30, but then we have a little altar time, and so the truth is you probably won't get out of here at 8. So um, let's be honest. Okay. All right, could we stand together in honor of God's word? We're in a series called The Holy Spirit in You in the book of Acts. We are up to Acts chapter 16. This is Luke writing, by the way. Luke is an eyewitness of these events. He, he wasn't in the early chapters of Acts. He's the, he's the writer, but it was all through interviews. But then he started joining Paul in his ministry, so that's why the, the, where the we comes from. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. 
When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs and unlawful, customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They then spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his house were baptized. That's enough. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you know everybody that's here right now. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Speak your message to each here, to each that's watching online. Come and do in our midst what only you can do. Hide me, please, behind the cross so that we can see Jesus, we can hear Jesus, and we can respond to Jesus. Please, Lord. Have your way, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message this morning is Midnight Worship. Paul and Barnabas did the first missionary trip in Acts 13. They came back in 14. They told the stories. They, they went to a council in Jerusalem to decide what the gospel for sure was in Acts 15, and then they're about to go back out in Acts 16, and they have this dispute over John Mark, which we've already talked about, and so Barnabas goes with John Mark one direction, and Paul's new traveling companion is Silas, and so they go this other direction, and they're going to revisit cities and going into new territories, and the Holy Spirit, it says, forbid them to go in some places. They tried to go into a city and they just like, nope, not there. Not that God doesn't love those people, not that they don't need to be reached, not that at some point someone will go to them, but not right now, not that place. So they, they don't go there. Paul's like, all right, we'll just keep going. We try to go into another, forbid again by the Spirit, don't go there. And then in the night, Paul has this dream, this open vision of where to go. And so he gets up, tells them the dream, and so that's why they're in Philippi. They have been sent by God. God has arranged for them to be in Philippi. 
And here they end up in prison. They end up getting beaten, and they're in prison. Thank you, God. So midnight worship. First, uh, point one, the darkness of midnight. So first, the, the, just the injustice of it all. The, the injustice before God. We are your servants. We are obeying you. We are loving you. And this is how we get treated. The injustice before man. Paul is actually a Roman citizen, but there's no trial. They're not even asked their side of it. They are beaten with these wooden rods, just the, historically what it was. Then they're thrown into prison, and it's not even just that they're in prison. They fasten their feet. They literally cannot move, and it's, 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 it's unjust where they are. Um, the, Im, the imprisonment of midnight, that I, I am constrained from doing what I want to do. We, you know, we were all in quarantine last year for different times, and everybody had to go home, and, and, and we couldn't do what we wanted to do. How many know that us at home watching Netflix is a little different than this? Um, same principle, though. Stuck. The injustice of midnight, the imprisonment, the feeling stuck at midnight. And then, and then finally, we don't know how long it's going to be. You know, everything's easier if you know there's going to be an end to it. You know, it's going to be for this long or this is going to happen. And, and, and they don't know what the end of this is going to be. And this is what, what part of the horror of midnight is you don't know how long it's going to last or what the final result will be. For, Paul, for all Paul and Silas know, this is it. I mean, years, a few years earlier, John the Baptist, who was a better Christian than any of us, died in prison. And the, just, just recently, James, who is one of the top three, died in prison. So the idea that God has to deliver us or God will deliver, that is off the table. It is, it, that's part of midnight. Midnight is, I'm, I'm, there's injustice and I feel stuck and I don't know how long I'm going to be stuck for. So have you ever been at midnight? In your life. Here's what happened to me in 2008 and 2009. I'm not going to give the whole story because I have in the past. But we came, it's actually August of 2007, we came to Madison. And there, it was just so clearly God that was sending us. We had experienced prophetic words over several years, the whole way that it came about, the, the number of it. Here's one thing I've learned about the prophetic. Everybody wants to, God, speak to me. The more clear the prophetic is, the more powerful the prophetic is, it usually means the harder it's going to be on you, that you're going to actually need those prophetic words. Didn't know that at the time? Know it now. Okay, write that down. Um, so we're here, and I've just got this tremendous expectation of what's going to happen, and, uh, and we have one thing after another that is just going wrong. First, one of our children walked away from God, and um, 
no matter how long I talked, no matter how much I argued, no matter how uh, he was not he was not going to be convinced. And so I was just feeling like a failure as a as a parent. And here I am, a pastor, and my own kid isn't even walking with God. And um, so I'm I'm a failure as a parent. Then um, our house from our previous place did not sell, and so we've got two. Paying, we're paying rent here for an apartment and they're making this house payment and so we're going backwards financially every month and, and once again, I'm doing, I did everything I could to sell that house. I did everything um, uh, and, and just every possible thing that I could do as far as my part, I did it and it wouldn't sell. And so, and, and so I see us going backwards. So I feel, I'm feeling like a failure as a provider as well. And then... Um, events had happened that our church um, kind of divided and, and our church was, was shrinking. It seemed like every week it was getting smaller and smaller. And, uh, um, and once again, I was doing everything I could to stop that and to get it to grow and to, to, to do the right thing. And, um, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop what was happening and... I, I, I literally remember the day that I got together with the elders. Because sometimes, sometimes you wonder when you're a pastor, is, does everybody, has everybody else gotten a message that you haven't gotten yet? Have you not been able to grasp what is obvious to everybody else? And so I just got together with the elders. And I'm like, do I need to resign? Is this, is this over? Because... I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I notice it's going the wrong way. And if, if, if I need to resign, I'm, 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 I'm willing to. And they were very encouraging and said, no, no, we're not at that point. But um, yeah, we, we, we'll tell you when, when you are, um, but we're not there yet. Uh, so and then, and then the other part of prison is you don't know how long. I'm suffering here, God. I am suffering. It is hard for me to get up in the morning. How long is this going to last? And part of it is you don't know. You don't know if the, maybe this is the rest of your life. You don't know. So that's what midnight feels like. Are you in midnight? Maybe it's a physical midnight. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong with you physically and you've tried everything. You've gone to doctors. You've gotten and you are not better and maybe getting worse. Maybe it is a financial midnight where you tried to make it right. Maybe it's with your job. You are trapped. You are in prison. It's dark. It's hard. It's impossible. You don't know how long. Maybe it's a family situation or a relationship where you've done everything you could, and it's no better. In fact, probably worse, and you don't know where it's going to go. But this is, this is what midnight feels like. It is the darkest Hour. So that's point one. What darkness, what, what the, the darkness of midnight. Here's point two. Choosing to worship at midnight. So here's the interesting thing. No one chooses to have a midnight. You don't have to, because midnight will come to every life. That's, it's just part of the program. 
down here, guys. Look at, look at Ephesians 6, 13. It says, uh, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Notice that it doesn't say so that if the day of evil comes, you will be... No, when. <laughs> Come again, Lord? When the day of evil comes? Well, I thought I was a Christian. Yet yeah, you're a Christian. Day of evil is coming. The day of darkness is coming. Midnight comes to every life. You don't get to choose whether you have a midnight. You will have a midnight. My experience is you actually have a series of midnights. <laughs> There's a lot that happens at midnight. and uh, So midnight is coming. Here's where you have freedom. Here's why you're not a victim. You actually can have a choice at midnight of whether to worship or not. Here's the usual responses at midnight. Blame, self-pity, beat yourself up, regret, anger, rage, uh, depression. These are all these are all options at midnight. And whatever your response is at midnight, I want you to know something. There's no judgment for me. for me, Because I had all of those responses. I went through times of tremendous sadness and self-pity. And I, I went through a time of anger with God, which was so foreign to me. I'd never been angry with God. And there were some circumstances that I felt like God was like, this is on you. You know, I'm sure he was very trembling about that. You know. <laughs> Ooh. Um, and uh, so I've got, I've got no judgment of all those, but, but there is an invitation at midnight to worship. So, so we're in the middle of this thing, and we get a call. Alice gets a call from an elder from our previous church in Minnesota, and it's funny because they were just here a month ago. We, they came and we spent a couple days together, really good friends. But this is right when we're in the middle of it. And he calls Alice and he says, uh, he says, I had a dream last night. He says, I have no idea what you guys are going through. But let me tell you what happened in this dream. He said, we are in this convention center and it's a, it's a, it's a worship time. And people everywhere are just just dancing in abandoned worship before God. And he says, and I see you and Tom, you, you two are just dancing before the Lord with this great abandon. He said, but the crazy thing about the dream is there was no music. He said, that's the dream. I said, I'm, I don't know what it means, but I'm just going to give it to you. So Alice tells me the dream. I immediately know what this means. God is saying, are you willing to worship me without the music of my blessings? I'm inviting you to a higher, a higher place of worship where you worship without music. 
It was an invitation to worship at midnight. We all have a choice. Choosing worship at midnight gives us a chance to love God directly apart from his blessings. Here's Job 1, 20 and 21. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So uh, God says to the devil, the beginning of Job, um, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one like him. He walks with me. He loves me. He delights in me. He worships me. He, he is blameless in my sight. And the devil says to God, Job doesn't love you. God's like, what? He says, no, no. Job loves your blessings. Job loves the way you treat him. He loves all the good things that you give him. You take away those blessings and you will find out whether Job really loves you or if he just loves what you do for him. And God's like, all right, go ahead, touch him. Touch the stuff. And Job worships at midnight. Here's what happens at midnight when you worship. It purifies you. It purifies your worship. Usually at midnight, it starts out with entitlement. God, I can't believe I'm being treated this way. God, I don't deserve this. God, I don't. And then you realize, hmm, kind of do deserve this. Probably deserve worse than this. And you get, you get rid of all this idea of I'm owed something by God. And then you're just left with, is God worthy of worship even if I'm having a bad day? Something gets purified. You know, oftentimes in our lives, we, we become the sun and everything orbits around us, including God. That this is all about us and God's just, we've added a little God on and he's just part of our orbit and, and what happens at midnight is you realize that you're not the center. That, oh my, God, God's the center. I'm, I actually orbit around him. This actually isn't about me. It's about him. And I got some I just got some powerful things. Some powerful things happened to me. Um, I, I could no longer be a success in front of people. You know, everybody looks at the pastor, and the pastor's own kids aren't even walking with God. And so, okay, yeah, failed. I'm a failure as a provider. I'm a failure as a pastor of the church. We know the church should be growing. The church is shrinking. I, you just, and then I just started really reading the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, so it doesn't really matter what my name is like. It's about your name. Did you know that you can honor God's name no matter what you're going through? 
if it's not about your name, if it's about his name. I'm like, Father, whatever this looks like, honor your name. And then, your kingdom come, your will be done. Has anybody noticed that's not my kingdom come, my will be done, my, it's not about my thing, and my thing was falling apart, but God, if this isn't about my thing, it's about your thing, I'm sure you're still doing okay. Lord, let your kingdom come. This is, if, if your kingdom coming is me taking this church down to nothing and closing the door, fine. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I don't, I don't need to be in the middle and I don't need to be the hero of the story. You are God. You are God. Guys, there is something that happens to you when you pray the prayer of Esther. If I perish, I perish. When, when it's, I don't have to succeed. I don't have to have everybody think I'm awesome. I, I'm, if this is how I honor you, game on. Let's do it. There's a freedom that comes to you that it's like, it's, it's unexpected, really. J James actually says this. He says it in James 1. It says, when you face various trials in that day, rejoice. Because going through those trials, it's going to produce perseverance until you become complete, lacking nothing. What on earth does that mean? Well, what happens is, is when you lose all the things you think you need. You lose the opinions of man and your success before people. You lose everything that you've been trying to achieve. And all you have is Jesus. You find out like, oh my, this is enough. Are you kidding? I'm free. I'm free from having to be treated in a certain way or, be, or have certain things happening. Uh, this, Jesus and me, that's good enough. It's amazing. It's amazing freedom. When you choose to worship at midnight, I want to read to you what it, what it looks like. This is the prayer of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on heights. The Amplified says to walk through. He enables me to walk through life's difficult places. So this midnight worship, just so, you, just so you get grasp how God feels about it. This is worship that no one in heaven can give him. Huh? Yep. Angels can't give him this worship. Why? Because it's, it's always good in heaven. Everything's, everything's beautiful in heaven. You're in the light in heaven. It, it, God's blessings, God's perfections are all around you. you, you they, can't, they, they can worship, but they can't give midnight worship. And this is also worship that saints who are, are, are having a great day and a great time and their life's going great, they can't give them this worship. It's, it's only those that are at midnight. And let me, let me submit to you that there is no worship that touches God like midnight worship. It's like, 
That's what I died for. That, Father, that they would worship you just for you. That's point two. Here's point three. God's response to midnight worship. First, God gives them their song. Let me, let me, let me, let me read a verse and I'll explain what I mean by that. God gives them their song. Job 35, 9 and 10. People cry out under a load of oppression. They plead for relief from the arm of the powerful. But no one says, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? When you are oppressed, when you're at midnight, the Holy Spirit, if you'll choose worship, will give you a song. He will transform midnight by energizing your worship. Let, let me read to you that this is an account from the 1400s. The Catholic Church was in a very bad place in the 1400s, and they are burning people that are talking about Jesus, that are following Jesus, that are holding up the word of God. I mean, it's, it's really bad. And so in, in this account, there are a couple guys that are being burned at the stake for their faith. And this is what an eyewitness said about the martyrdoms. Here's what he said. They prepared for the fire as if they were going to a marriage feast. They uttered no cry of pain. When the flames rose, they began to sing hymns. And scarce could the vehemency of the fire stop their singing. The enemy can kill you, but they can't kill that song. The Holy Spirit releases this song that transcends this world. It transcends the circumstances, the prison. It is, it is this song. As Paul and Barnabas choose midnight worship, they find the Holy Spirit welling up, and all of the prisoners can hear them singing and praying, and all of a sudden, they are not victims. They are free in the Spirit. Psalm 32, 6 and 7. The waters rose. Where are we? Do we have that one? The waters rose and they, and they threatened to overwhelm me. This isn't my version, so I'll just say what mine is. <laughs> but you surrounded me with songs of deliverance. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that dark hour. It's, 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 it's seeking to overwhelm me. It's seeking to destroy me. And at that time, you surrounded me, this is odd, with songs of deliverance. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemy till all my fears are gone. He comes in the midst 
And as, you cho- as we choose worship, the Holy Spirit releases this song that surrounds us. It's called the song in the night. It's a song the world cannot understand. The world can't sing it. The world doesn't know it. But when the saints of God sing this song in the night, it is, it is the presence of God on earth. So what is God's response? First, he will give you a song in the night. Secondly, when you sing that song, chains are broken. The Bible says that an earthquake came and shook the foundations of the prison and, and, and opened all the doors, and then it says everyone's chains in the whole prison came off. This is the extravagant generosity of God. Do you know why Jesus is not allowed in jewelry stores? He breaks every chain. (laughs) You know, guys... God owes these guys nothing. They could be martyred and God wouldn't have to apologize when they got to heaven. No, he, you guys signed up for, they, hate, they're, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. They're, they're, I'm gonna be killed. Many of you are gonna be killed. Jesus doesn't owe them deliverance from this thing. But he, the Father's touched by this worship and he, he, he just, he decides he's gonna pour out and I, I can imagine the order given to the angel and the angel going back and saying, did I hear you right? I, Everybody? Not just Paul and Silas? No, I want, I just want, I am so happy, I want everybody free. That's what revival and awakening is, guys. That's when those that weren't worshiping, those were grumbling, those were in self-pity, those were at the, the point, everybody goes free. God, when God moves in power, not because we prayed enough or we earned it, but because he just, he is moved, he is touched, and he is God. He can do anything he wants to. So he comes and he, he sets everybody free at midnight. So I want to tell the story of a, of a daughter. This is, she told me this story two weeks ago. And she doesn't go to this church, but she gave me permission. She told me the whole story. She gave me permission. Her mom also gave me permission to tell this story. So what had happened was uh, her mom and dad both got COVID. But as is often the case, it affects different people different ways. And her mom, it was really, really bad. And she was in the hospital and and. She had to take a leave of absence from, she's a teacher, took a leave of absence from teaching just to take care of her mom and dad. And, uh, and when she saw how downhill they were going, she, she prayed and, and, and she said, God, the enemy, the enemy's trying to destroy our family. He's trying to take out my mom and dad. She wakes up at 1 a.m., and, uh, and she starts praying. And while she's praying, she says, I'm not a vision person. She said, maybe I've had 
one or two visions in my life, but I, got, I received a vision, and here was the vision. I saw my mom had chains on her. She had a chain around her chest. She had a chain around her waist, and she had chains on her ankles. And she said, I saw a dark entity in the room that, that was pulling on the chain. And every time he pulled, my mom was squeezed tighter and tighter and just wrapped up by this chain. And so I started asking the Lord, how, how do we get the chain off? How do, I, how do I pray against this? And she said, I just went into this time of declaring the names of God, of who God is. And she said, I, I, I went back to sleep. And when I woke up, I, I felt like I was just supposed to start worshiping. And I, and I, I started worshiping and praising. She said, for, for two hours, I praised and I, I worshiped. And, and then I saw, um, I saw another vision. And it was, it was my mom again, the same chains, but they were loose. She, there was breathing room. And, and so the next night, 1, 1 a.m. again, she's up. And she's, she, God, what do you want? And it's more warfare. She's, she starts worshiping again. She starts worshiping and praying, and as the Spirit of God is on her, she starts praying this prayer, God, would you take the, the chains that are on my mom, and would you put them on this dark entity? And as she is worshiping and praying, there is this breakthrough, and she has a, a, another vision. And in this last vision, her mom is completely free from the chains and there is an angel at the end of her bed looking out that has got a sword and is like daring anything to come near her. And then she sees this dark entity is all chained up and angry and frustrated. And she said, Pastor Tom, the, the, the craziest thing has happened. The very thing that the enemy meant to use to destroy our family has brought us all close together and has brought us all close to God. The very thing the enemy used has transformed our family. So here's the last thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the worship team to come back up. And that, the, the last thing is salvation at midnight. So all of a sudden, Paul and Silas are free. And now somebody else has a prison. It's the jailer. The jailer wakes up. He has been, by the Roman authorities, has been told to carefully guard these soldiers. They are, the doors, he sees the doors open. He realizes the only honorable thing to do is to kill himself. Because otherwise, there, he, he will be court-martialed. Somebody else will do it, and somebody else will have to do it. And he, this is just the rules in Rome. I, he needs to kill himself. There's no other solution except that I kill myself. And here's what Paul says. And I just love this about Paul. I don't like to think about what I would have done if I had been in that prison and my chains went out. I, I think I'd be heading for the door as quick as possible. I think I would be like, this is amazing. Don't, wanna, don't want them to catch me. Don't want to go back here. I want to get out of town. I want to get out. Uh, but Paul wasn't about his own life and his own comfort. And my, Paul was, I am a witness for Jesus Christ. Whether live or die, I'm a witness. 
He's like, don't, don't kill yourself. We're here. We're still here. Nobody's left. And the jailer bows down and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And so the whole family gets saved. <laughs> A family that almost lost their dad. Can you imagine the hardship that would come on this family to be without their dad who had committed suicide? And in a moment, they go from that scenario to the dad now is saved and the whole family gets saved and they're all on a new path. That's the goodness of God, folks. That's the plan of God. So here's the, here's the reality. Usually, people get saved at midnight. Jesus said, at midnight, this is Luke 11. He said, a friend comes to another friend and says, we have nothing. We have no bread. Help me. And, and the friend says, I don't have any bread for you either, but I've got a relationship with somebody that's got all kinds of bread all the time. I have a relationship. I will get what you need from him, and then I'll be back here to give it to you. And Jesus said, this is how it works. You go in, you go in and you ask, and you persistently ask, and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit, and you are gonna take the Holy Spirit, and you're gonna go back to that friend at midnight and said, here's the healing you need. Here's the salvation you need. Here, here's the presence of God. Here's Here's the comfort you need. You're going you're gonna to get the Spirit of God, not just for yourself, but a river to go to those who come at midnight. This is why you need to keep all of your relationships going. They hate God. They, they are against me. They mock us. They hate City Church. Okay, great. Keep loving them. Just keep the door open. That family member will never come in. Listen. No, they're not in now. They're going away from God now. They hate God now. That's fine. Midnight's coming. Here's what I've learned. Midnight's coming to every life. And when midnight comes, you don't go to people that have the same stuff you do. They know their own friends. All they can do is give them a bottle of liquor and say, yeah, it sucks to be you. Or, 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 or another drug or some, some way to numb their pain. No, when you're at midnight, you want somebody that's got something you don't have. And midnight isn't oftentimes, it, people with their own midnight, they'll just die. But if it's their child that's at midnight, they, they, they want help. All of a sudden, they're open. All of a sudden, I, I need something that only God could do. You're going you're gonna to try to find somebody that's connected to God. And you know how gracious God is? God has set it up for people to come to him at midnight. He's not put off by foxhole conversions. He's like, that's why there was a foxhole. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He is close to the brokenhearted, whether they believe in him or not. He is close. He comes close at midnight. 